Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. For me, the choice was either sort of wither under all these new experiences or, or relish in the fact that, you know, it was a huge opportunity uh, to see these kinds of things. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, my name is Susan Peterson. I'm a retired engineer and high-tech executive based in Boulder, Colorado. I've only been listening to the podcast for a short time and in fact have just joined this community. I hope to be able to share some of the insights and advice, quite frankly, that I gathered throughout my 40-year career. And I'm very interested in getting more tuned in to what younger women in technology see as their challenges, because I think it's so important for women to stay in technology. The reason I think it's so important is I think technology is the number one thing affecting our society today. You can connect with me at Big Tiny Sue, or you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Let's talk about sleep. So my mentor pretty much like forced me. No, he didn't force me, but he highly encouraged me to start wearing the Aura Ring. You guys may have heard of the Aura Ring. It's a sleep tracking ring. It's also an activity tracker and all this stuff, but really it's it's known for sleep tracking. I think in the entrepreneurial culture, we're taught to sacrifice sleep and to hustle and even like P. Diddy said, I'll sleep when I die or something like that. And now it's proven that or maybe it was even proven then, but you know, you hear about it more now that sleeping seven to nine hours a night is what's recommended. And if you don't sleep that amount of time, you don't make decisions as quickly, you gain weight, your body doesn't function as well. I know I'm someone that sleeps four to five hours without an alarm clock, and it's really tough sometimes to sleep longer than that. But I do notice a difference in my mental well-being, my physical well-being, and just how I interact with the world when I do get at least seven hours of good, healthy sleep. And I'm able to know if I've had good, healthy sleep, if I was disturbed during the night or if it was too hot or whatever it may be. If I looked at my technology too late, how many of us like play with our iPhones and our smartphones before we go to sleep? 
look at our, our tablets and watch movies, all of that stuff affects like the quality of our sleep. So to be able to track it and look back at my history and say, aha, I see what's going on there. I see why I was moody these particular days or why you know, I had a hard time exercising and had a, a longer physical recovery from my workouts. It's interesting what a strong impact, like positive impact health, uh, sleep has on us in so many ways and how it is so against our culture to rest in, in the entrepreneurial world and startup world. It's crazy. Anyway, so I vote for sleep. <laughs> my mom thinks I should sleep more still. Yeah, the aura ring really has made it easy to just like see what's going on and according to all these YouTube videos I've watched and all these other things it seems to be that that data is relatively accurate if not accurate I don't know closer to accurate than most so give it a look and uh, enjoy the next episode podcast celebrating women in tech around the world we are over 100 countries strong so excited to bring to you our next guest it's someone i've been wanting to interview for a really long time based in oakland california emuye i'm trying not to mispronounce it how do i do did i pronounce it okay yeah that was great that was great Yay! She works for a company called Superhuman. I am a customer of superhuman it is the most super way to make emailing fun, which is crazy. And she is an engineer on the team. Hello. Hello. So to kick things off, go ahead, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, everyone. I'm Amuye Reynolds, and I lead engineering at Superhuman. Superhuman is the fastest email experience in the world. And we're introducing all of these amazing ways to really help you with productivity, to help you get through your email faster, to uh, give you packed time in your day, or to let you be better at your job. What is the one thing that attracts you most about the culture at Superhuman that you're like, that is the company I want to work with? So I've been at Superhuman for a long time. So the culture in many ways now reflects me a bunch. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that uh, really attracted me was I was at a point in my career when I joined that I wanted to be a driver. I didn't want to be a passenger. And I had that opportunity from day one at Superhuman. I had the opportunity to shape the culture, to shape the vision, to shape what we were building and how we approach building it. How many people were at Superhuman when you started and how many people are there now? Eight people when I started. Uh, it was about four years ago and we're about 45 now. And when you say you got to shape the culture, that's a really cool opportunity. What about the culture mirrors you and how were you able to influence or co-create the culture at Superhuman? One of the things that I think mirrors me, I think is mirrors a number of people at the company, but we actually represent this as one of our core values. The core value is to be intentional. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean getting everything right, but it means uh, sort of the opposite of, of move fast and break stuff, right? It's like, why don't we take a moment and figure out what we're going to do and, and sort of plan and approach it? And we might not get it right, but we'll at least spot mistakes earlier and we'll kind of, uh, you know, it's not about the thing we're actually doing is, is, is in the long run trying to, to move fast, which I think is, is a lot easier if you in some ways slow down. I think that's uh, something that's really uh, near and dear to not just me, but the way I approach things. Can you give us a little perspective or insight on all the things that you've been involved with in a leadership capacity? Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of goes back to sort of the beginning of my career. Uh, I got my start at, at Apple and I worked on Apple TV for a number of years. I worked on the very first versions of Apple TV. Uh, we were a tiny, tiny team. I got to be a leader, even though I was kind of a newbie to Apple uh, and a newbie to tech. 
I've also uh, been a part of a, a number of startups. Uh, I worked at a company called Zeit uh, for a number of years where we did a personalized news app. Uh, I worked at Flipboard. Now I'm at Superhuman. Let's go back to the beginning. When did you first become interested in technology? Yeah, I was a little late. So I always had some interest in math and science, but I didn't know anything about computer science. I don't think I'd even heard that term by the time uh, I got to college. But I, I knew about computers. Uh, I knew about games. I guess that's kind of the extent of my computer knowledge. But when I my first semester in college, I actually thought I'd be a biology major because uh, I always liked science and, and biology was kind of my favorite science. But my first semester, uh, one of the intro to computer science classes had been mislisted in the course catalog. Uh, I went to Brown and at the time Brown did these paper, these like books, like physical books of, of the classes. So they'd printed the book with the wrong uh, time for one of these, these classes. And it was a very prominent professor. And so he had his TAs going door to door on like the campus, like knocking on people's doors and being like, Hey, do you like video games? Do you like computers? If you do come take this class, you know, it's, it's got the wrong time. And I was like, yeah, I like video games and I like computers. So I'll, I'll give this a shot. And I uh, took the class, I, I started and it was, I knew nothing and it was really, really hard, but I loved the problem solving. And uh, we used to have this room called the the Sun Lab. It was this, uh, it's kind of funny because it had no windows, this, this lab where we did all of our programming. And it was called the Sun Lab because all the computers were Sun computers. But I remember my first day, you like, they sit you in front of this computer and it's running Linux, which I'd never heard of in my life. And so there's this terminal and there's no UI aside from this terminal. And they just handed us this sheet of paper that was commands we were supposed to put into the terminal to get our account set up. And I remember being like, like what? It, looking around, like do other people understand what's <laughs> happening here? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't understand, and I was definitely lost, but I liked the idea of sort of finding my way. I don't want you to stop there. Tell me more, because, like, how do you get past that hump? That's a really important hump in your life. It took a long time. I, I, I won't say that, you know, the, the end of that semester, uh, I was over the hump. Computer science for me in college was extremely hard the entire time. And I always uh, felt like I was behind I felt like everyone around me had exposure to it and, and knew what it was coming into it. It's one of those, it's a little bit odd of a field. And especially then, uh, it was a little bit odd of a field because I think people don't just jump into it. It seems inaccessible. And so it felt that way, even being a part of it. There were just some things about it that I absolutely loved, though. I like the idea of building things. Our first project was Tetris, or, you know, it had a lot of a lot of scaffoldings. We weren't really making Tetris, but it felt like I was making Tetris. And right. just the idea of being able to make a game, uh, it blew my mind. So what, what I was able to accomplish, but also the actual problem solving and kind of stepping through and trying to figure out these things that seem so challenging. For me, that was what a lot of the excitement was. I'm dying to know, you stayed in this seat. Like you saw this, this computer and you walked into an environment that was completely foreign to you and you felt overwhelmed and you're feeling like everybody else knows what to do and you don't, mm -hmm. you stayed there. And that's a really big deal. <laughs> like you keep passing over it, but <laughs> you made a choice to, to stay there. What was your mindset? How did you stay there and rise to the challenge? How did you even have the desire to rise to the challenge? It's a hard question. Um, I think some of it was I 
was surrounded by these kinds of moments of stepping out of my comfort zone. I'm from Wisconsin, uh, and I went to school in Rhode Island. I'd never been to Rhode Island. I hadn't ever known anyone who'd been to Rhode Island. So I just moved into this place, this dorm, away from my family, halfway across the country. Didn't really know much about college. I didn't know anything about computer science. It was just one experience after another. And I think at some point, for me, the choice was either sort of wither under all these new experiences or, or relish in the fact that, you know, it was a huge opportunity uh, to see these kinds of things. I think I just sort of saw the opportunity there and saw how amazing that chance was. I I don't know. I think I like a challenge. So I think it's another part of it. So looking around thinking everyone else seems to know what to do. I, I don't it, like, do they? How would they know what to do? <laughs> it was kind of like, okay, well, if everyone else knows what to do, like I can figure it out. <laughs> I think that's an important life moment. I think it's something that we forget really often that we make these, at least I do. I'm not going to speak forever. I, I can't stand it when people say we like, okay, I sometimes make assumptions that the rest of the world has everything figured out and I'm the only one lost. And I think that for me, I'll just speak for myself, that is really troublesome to make assumptions, like you said. It's way more empowering to just ask myself, Am I willing to rise to the occasion and believe that I'm capable enough to do so? Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I, I didn't have that level of awareness, you know, at that age. And I think for me, there's been these points in my career, lots of these points where, including going back to school, where I, I, I thought I would get to this 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 place. And, and once I was there, it's like, well, everyone must have it figured out. And I think along the way, I've sort of realized what you said. It's like, a lot of the times people don't have it figured out. <laughs> I use this joke at work. It's like one of my coworkers asked me, you know, what's my truism? What's the one thing I believe to be true about the world? And I, I told them, it's like, everyone is winging it all the time. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh my God. I was just about to say that about like being an entrepreneur. If there's any lesson that I am becoming more and more exposed to the longer that I'm an entrepreneur is no one knows anything. <laughs> like not even the most seasoned people. Like even Richard Branson right now is dealing with epic stuff that he has to like figure out how to solve and he's not quite sure which way is right or wrong. But he, but the thing that I think makes a really powerful leader and something that I, I'm practicing getting better at, I'm nowhere close yet, but I think leaders have in common being decisive, mm, even if mm -hmm. it's wrong. And then one of my mentors, Michael Roderick said, a pro doesn't doesn't view a failed experiment or like an experiment that doesn't go the way you wanted it to as a failure. A pro just takes in the lesson, the data and keeps on going. And someone who's not pro lets it clobber them to the ground. And mm -hmm. my other mentor, sorry, I'm going on and on. I'm just like, lately I've been a, a, like really learning from all of them says it's better to get better than to get bitter. I loved that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I've been on a little self-help journey lately. <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, okay, so once you were studying and once you started to feel more comfortable in the world of technology and you said like computer science was really hard for you, but you did choose to stick in there. When did your first professional opportunities start to develop? I interned at Microsoft the summer after my junior year. So that's going into that summer. Uh, I was interviewing in a bunch of different places, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. It never really, even after that internship, it's kind of weird. It didn't really occur to me what a job 
after having studied computer science would be. I knew I liked studying it and I, I really liked the problem solving, but I had never seen anyone do a job. So I didn't really know what the work would be. And so I didn't even, I didn't know how to evaluate a job. I didn't know what I wanted or what the different types of roles would be. I ended up uh, mostly looking at the kinds of opportunities that came towards the school. Like the, you know, the school, uh, Brown did some different, different companies came and did some on-campus interviews and, and recruiting that way. And I ended up with this amazing opportunity at, at Microsoft and, and, you know, went out to the interview and had all of these experiences I, that I'd never seen before. I'd you know, the, this was like a, a major tech company with this amazing campus and this beautiful location. And it just, it was incredible. And my experience there was, was really, really cool. But that was my first professional opportunity. And where did you find the internship? Where did you see it? I think they came and I'm trying to remember this was forever ago, but uh, I think they came to the campus and did on-campus recruiting. So I think there was like a career fair or something like that. I find it interesting that you shared that computer science was really hard, but you pursued it anyway. What is it about that world that even though it was hard, it was right for you? It's it's hard to imagine doing anything else um, for me. It's the the problem solving. It's the the act of building things. Like there aren't that many types of environments where you get to be creative and you know solve problems and in the end build something that that actually didn't exist before you started. Those were the things that stood out to me. I had a good network. Um, one of my really good friends also studied computer science. Uh, both of his parents actually were professors of computer science, so he had definitely a leg up coming into college. But we sort of formed a bond over it and those really early projects where we got to like I said, I built Tetris as an really early, early project. Those kinds of things for me made me realize it was the right thing to study. Again, I had no idea what the job would be. Like, I just was like, I'm going to study this. This is the only thing I could imagine studying. And, and, and I think it, it did work quite well. I'm going to ask a question I've actually never asked before, but I get asked the question a lot is a lot of my peers say, I really want to hire a woman in tech. And then I hear more of my peers say part of the problem in hiring. And again, this show isn't about controversy or politics. However, I think this is a very empowering point is that a lot of my other peers say the way job descriptions are worded doesn't attract women in tech because they're worded in a certain way. I want to ask, what about, you've been working at so many tech companies now. It's it's really cool. What about the culture attracted you to those companies? Just overall, you don't have to say which specific ones. What was the attraction? Why were you like, this is the opportunity for me? It's a really interesting question. I think it's changed over time. You know, it's 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 really different now than it was for me in those early early years. In my early years, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I didn't I would have known how to evaluate a job posting. I wouldn't have known to think about culture and didn't. I had some missteps with culture and with not fitting in or feeling like I didn't fit in early uh, in my career. I think job postings can actually there are lots of hints. And I think some of them at this point are, are pretty well known. So I think a lot of companies avoid you know, making sure those, those hints are uh, erasing those hints. One of the things that, that has now become really important if, if I'm looking for a role is sitting down with people in a casual setting, really getting to know the team and you know, the person I'm going to work for and having a chance to have a normal conversation with that person. Because I find the, the workplace chemistry can be more important than some of the things that, you know, the specifics of what the responsibilities will be and those kinds of things. It's going to be a job, so the, the responsibilities will be hard and there'll be work. Are these the kinds of people that you want to spend, you know, a 
giant chunk of your life. Like that's the the thing that I, I just try to look for. And I like to ask people questions like, when is the last time you disagreed with someone? Like, you know, I, I actually like to get to a point where I disagree with someone in, a, in, in, in those interview settings to see how that feels. Does it feel uncomfortable? Wow. Like, is it... <laughs> I love that. No, keep going. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just think that's so cool. Yeah, I think it's it's super important when everything's like completely perfect, and and I think that's the picture both sides of 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 you know someone who's looking for a job and someone who's looking for an, an employee. A lot of the times, both sides are trying to paint this really amazing best mm-hmm. case scenario, and it's like yeah, it's easy in the best case scenario. I, I'm more interested in what happens when we've stayed up really late working on a project, or what happens when we don't know how to solve a problem. What happens when I think I know and you know, someone else on the team thinks they know, like, how do we work through that? And so I try to get to questions and kind of find those opportunities to sort of like poke a little bit to see how, see what unfolds, see what I uncover. I love it. What's a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. What's a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Way back, kind of in the, in the beginning of my career, I worked at Apple and it was amazing in a number of ways, but I didn't feel like I fit in. It to me seemed like there was, the culture was sort of closed door. Um, you, know, you know, I was working with basically only guys and it was hard to sort of break in. I was also one of the, you know, the only people that had been hired out of college, if not the only person for my entire time there. And so uh, people were at different stages of life. You know, there's people with families and none of that made any sense to me at the time. And so for all these reasons, I didn't feel like I, I fit in. I had transitioned. I moved across the country. Um, I, I had kind of exhausted really my goals and aspirations. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't know what my next five years would look like. And so I was in this position where I felt kind of uncomfortable all the time. I look back at that experience and, and you know, I, I won't say it would, would have been easy to quit. I don't think it would have been easy to quit, but it would have been easy to sort of see that as there is no way in, this isn't mm-hmm. for me. And over time, you know, I kind of getting to know the people and, and sort of finding ways to contribute to the team and all these different things, I found my in. And that was, I think, a, a really big obstacle. When was that aha moment that you found your in? There was never like one specific moment, but it was a bunch of things. Like I made it my goal to, you know, go to coffee every day with the people on the team to, you know, to knock on the closed doors as uncomfortable it is as it is and say, hey, you know, is there anything I can do to help? Or, you know, are we working through a problem to invite people into to my office to, to talk through problems to as much as possible to sort of find my way in. And I'm in no way going to say it was easy. It was super uncomfortable. And I was like, maybe I really don't belong here. But it, a lot of it was just people. And, you know, I think the team could have done more to make me feel welcome, but that wasn't on the, it wasn't top of mind. And so um, there was, there wasn't some agenda though, to keep me out of it. It was just that no one was inviting me in. And so I had to sort of like force my way in and through a whole bunch of different, <laughs> different actions. Some of the people that on that team are uh, people that I'll, I'll know for my entire career. You know, some of them have become friends. I look at it and, and, you know, this is again years ago, but I look back and I'm like, 
that was pretty big, a, a big obstacle. I'm really happy that I stuck with it. Totally. I get asked a lot, you know, about the show and about my perspective. And I, I don't, I actually don't talk about it too too often at all because I want to make sure that this show stays a source of empowerment. And what I mean by that is I don't know what obstacles do or don't exist. There's so many things that could or could not be true and et cetera. But if I put my attention on scarcity and lack, then I'm just going to have scarcity and lack. So even if there's only a 1% light through a super thin, like creak in a door, I'm going to focus a hundred percent of my energy on accessing that 1% because what other choice would I want for myself? I hear you say a lot in, in this interview, like I stepped into the discomfort. I leaned into the discomfort. I like ran with the discomfort. You did a lot of things and which are really ridiculously hard, but it just feels like you're that person that you're like, I get that this is a situation, but there's nothing I could do about the situation. So what can I do? Like, what do I have control over? And let me do what I can do. Is that an alignment with you? Yeah, totally. I think about that all the time. I think what you're saying is is true in basically every situation. There's so much we can't control. And there's so much that we can look at and say that this is unfair or this is, you know, this is, I have a a, a bad situation or I only have a, a little bit of a good situation or whatever it might be. But it's up to me to make, you know, the opportunities that I want to have and to as much as possible, kind of push where I can push and try to own the things that I can control. I, I love the way you described it. Like this, I like this, this metaphor of this like sort of open door with a little bit of light. Cause I think it's a really positive way of looking at it. Another way of saying it, it's like a, a closed door, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even think of that. And one thing I love to ask is what is the best, or the, I mean, we receive so much advice through our life, but a, a piece of advice that has really stuck with you. What's one piece of advice you could share with everyone? This has actually come a little bit late for me. Um, And so uh, it's something that I've been only recently really trying to uh, follow. But I got the advice to to find mentors, to seek out other people who've walked, you know, the the steps that I that I'm trying to walk or who've been, you know, who are farther along in the journey on whatever whatever path. And I honestly I wish I really understood that years ago in my career, because I think finding mentors, finding people that have done some of what you're trying to do before is is incredible. And I, I'm now fortunate to sort of be finding those kinds of people and having those kinds of conversations. And it's immensely helpful, even just to bounce an idea off of someone who's 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 lived that life before. I love that. And I want to jump actually deeper into what a mentorship relationship looks like. But before before we go into that, I just want to share this thing that has been, I, I have an incredible therapist who has amazing sneakers, which has nothing to do with our conversation. But sometimes <laughs> I think that I only go to him because his sneakers are so awesome. Well, what um, are the sneakers? What kind of sneakers? This has amazing sneakers. They're all like all different colorways, mid tops, high tops, like all like Jordans, like just all sorts of sneakers. And amazing uh, like sock like nice. collection yeah he's he's great like he's a, I've been with him for two years he's an amazing amazing therapist and he just happens to be really hip too which always trips me out anyway point <laughs> is we had this moment once I would get sometimes very guarded when someone would give me an opinion and I would receive it as an attack or as though I'm doing something wrong and he said remember that that just because someone has an opinion doesn't mean that it needs to define you. And it doesn't even mean that you need to absorb their opinion. It's just 
what they think. That's all it needs to mean. It doesn't have to like, the opinion doesn't equate to value on you. And it doesn't mean you have to do the thing. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh. And because what I noticed as an entrepreneur going through my life, especially in the more, you know, bitter times, I find for myself, I get really defensive. Like someone will give me their opinion. Like maybe a mentor will even give me their opinion. I'll be like, I tried that or something, you know, or like, it's just this like heavy resistance. And so as I'm about to speak with you and share with everybody, like about the journey in finding mentorship, the reason I wanted to share this little piece is because it is so important to understand that just because people have opinions and guidance, you still want to find the truth within yourself of what's right for you. And I'm giving you permission right now to say, like, even if you don't agree with whatever the smart person says, that's okay. You're allowed to have your own way of being. It's just really great to be exposed and to listen and to hear people, but hear them from a place of abundance and love and understanding they're doing their best to show up for you. And it doesn't define you. It doesn't mean you have to take action on it. It's just what a cool thing that someone's investing their energy into you and then take with it what you will. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same? Do you echo the same sentiment or do you have a different philosophy behind it? No, absolutely. I think one of the best things about finding mentorship is is to find several, find more than one mentor and to have the same conversation and get sort of a lot of different perspective on on something that you're, you're working through. Mentorship to me isn't about finding someone who can sort of tell you what to do. It's about finding someone who has some glimmer of some different perspective about what you maybe you could do. And then I agree, it's like still up to you to to find your path. What she said about like what people, if you hear people repeat themselves, that's such a a hack, actually. Like if you hear three mentors say the same thing, it's like a super like success hack where it's like, okay, that point may have some validity to it because now (laughs) I've heard three different people say the exact same thing. So totally ask the same question to tons of different people. And even if everyone says the same thing and in your body you feel like, nah, it's still not right. That's totally okay. But it is a success hack to kind of see the, the data points. So, okay, on the point of mentorship, so many people ask me about mentorship. How do you go about finding a mentor? And what does a mentorship relationship look like? How much time does it require? That kind of thing. Honestly, it's I can only talk about what, what works for me. I think it's probably pretty different for, for different people. I had a lot of help getting to uh, some finding some different mentors through my network. It was actually quite hard to find people, but reaching out to my network and sort of putting feelers out saying, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in these kind of characteristics or these kinds of conversations. You know, who do you know who could could help? That really helped for me. In terms of what does the relationship look like, I like to keep it very casual. I think some people have sort of like more of a strict, we're going to meet once a month, we're going to, you know, talk about this agenda. I like to reach out when I have something that's on my mind. And then, like I said, I actually like to reach out to two or three people for each kind of thing, problem or thing that's on my mind and talk it through. I think it's so great. And if somebody feels right now that they're like, I have no idea how to get a mentor, what would be a step one for the for those who just feel like that it's just inaccessible? Because I want everybody listening right now, and I know so many of you listening are super seasoned and know how to get a mentor, but just give me a moment of everybody listening right now who just feels like it's inaccessible to access someone, you know, higher up. What do you recommend as a first step to access those people? It's a little bit being vulnerable and sort of saying, this is what I need. You know, maybe it's uh, reaching out to your network on Twitter, or maybe it's talking to your boss or talking to your coworkers and seeing who their mentors are. The first step is 
be a little vulnerable and say, hey, I need someone who's done this before. I need to talk to someone else. And, and then finding every person you can and telling them that exact thing. If you're listening and you are those mentor people and you're like, I would love to mentor people listening, tweet, DM, Instagram, Facebook, send a, a pigeon messenger. I don't email me at Women in Tech Show on all social, like at Esprit Devora, if that's better. Just get in touch and say, I would love, love, love to mentor. I know within the Women in Tech Facebook group, we have a mentorship thing. And Honestly, we don't run it as well as we should. It's just like so much because it's all like community work and I want to get better at it. But we do have a mentorship thing inside. And I heard women have been accessing and self-connecting to one another, which is just so great. And it is something that we want to get better at, like overseeing and moderating to make sure that we can facilitate even more mentorship relationships. You just go to womenintechvip.com, takes you straight to the Facebook group. Mentorship never stops. There is no treasure map ever. I wish there was, and I've tried really hard. I thought if I read Tim Ferriss's book enough, I'd find it. There is no treasure map. We create our own. It's really annoying, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does your day-to-day look like now? What's, what's a day in your life look like? It's honestly a lot of meetings. Um, I, I spent a lot of time talking, which if, if you asked me you know, 15 years ago um, if that would be part of my role, I would have said, absolutely not. Uh, supporting my team, um, helping figure out the strategy behind new features or new projects, um, thinking about how we're going to structure the organization, those kinds of things. Lots, lots of meetings. And where can people connect with you? On so, are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a good place for people to connect? Are you on social? What do you prefer? LinkedIn's good. Twitter's good. Can you spell your handle and your name for everybody so that they could find you? Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, it's at uh, E-M-U-Y-E. R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S. That's at Emuye Reynolds. And we'll include it in the show notes as well so you could easily access it there. I have a question I like to ask everybody is, have you been on a podcast before? This is my first podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Yes. And now I hope everybody poaches you to be on their podcast too. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. And I like to ask two last questions. Your favorite book? My favorite book is, it's called Hyperion. It's it's sort of like a, a sci-fi book. It's incredible. It's a, I think there's four in the series. Um, I don't want to say anything because you going into the book, not knowing anything about it. Yeah, it's it's the best. And your favorite tech tool, like software, obviously, aside from Superhuman. Uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about Superhuman at all, so we'll do that as well. But like, it could be software, mobile app, website. My favorite tech tool. I don't know if this is is, is quite gonna quite gonna count, but um, I've been doing a ton of recording, and I use Logic from Apple, and they just released an update. It's like the first update in so many years, but I'm really really enjoying it. I don't know if that counts as a tech tool, though. It does count. Logic right. from Apple counts for recording, and walk everybody through how you use Logic, so in case they want to use it too. Yeah, I'm actually I'm in an internet band, and so I use Logic to kind of do all the recording and to do all the mixing, and it's cool. You can actually use Logic even if you don't play an instrument. You can make loops, you can make sounds, and kind of put them all together. It's it's really really cool. Fun. Okay, are you ready? We're gonna dive into Superhuman just for it. a second because really this show is about celebrating your journey, but Superhuman is definitely a part of your journey, and now it's been a part of my journey. So. Superhuman, I'm not just saying this, makes it fun to check email. Like, it's like this mental hack where, like, you know if you're 
you're opening Superhuman, you're about to get a lot of emails answered, done, and just put away and fast. And you want to figure out, okay, so do you guys remember? I mean, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember this, but oh my gosh, why am I forgetting it? Cobra. It was like up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A. Oh, Contra. 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 The, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> right? Yeah. So superhuman is all about the contra codes. Like yeah. it just has all, I like how I can remember the name of the game, but I can remember the code. <laughs> and I love how you knew the code. Oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my God. Let me go play some Contra. Like, yeah. So superhuman just is it's awesome. It's just absolutely awesome. Is there anything that you could kind of Tell us for those of, I mean, first of all, the way you got the name out there, the brand out there about Superhuman has been super gorilla. It's still invite only, right? Like you can't just sign up and there's a wait list. Um, can you give us some, some, a little, just a sampling of context? Yeah, you can actually sign up, but we're going to make sure Superhuman is going to fit your work habits. And then we would, uh, we actually onboard every, every, uh, every customer and to, to make sure Superhuman set up just right for, for you. What we're really doing is, you know, we're, we're changing people's relationships with work. This, this, this heaviness, this, this weight that people feel when they go to try and do their email because they have too much or they don't have a system or uh, they just don't have time to get through it all. We're really trying to find uh, ways to make sure people have that time and so that they're going through their email really fast. And like what you said, it's super fun. Um, so, yeah, I like the idea of, of sort of bringing up uh, Contra in the game. <laughs> It's a lot of how we think about uh, of how how we think about doing work. If you want to know more about Superhuman itself, the founder of Superhuman was on an awesome podcast by Harry Stebbings called 20 Minute VC. And he talks about all about game theory and his philosophy behind building Superhuman. It's completely worth listening to. You'll want to take notes. It was an awesome, awesome. And he's been on the show twice. Honestly, like anything that the founder of Superhuman writes in a post or on a podcast interview, I always find it to be highly informative and actionable information that I could utilize to grow and be a better person myself. So I really recommend it. I found one blog post. I think it was by First Round. Uh, first Round did a blog post. And just anything. If you just Google anything about um, anything about him, like it's great. And maybe if we remember, we'll include those in the show notes as well. When she said onboarding, you guys, onboarding as in a one-on-one -on -one phone call with every single person, Video. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. Maybe it was video and I just don't remember. Oh, yeah. I think I did it in my car <laughs> or something. But like <laughs> my mentor and I talked about it for a while. The founder talks about it on the 20 Minute VC podcast as well, why they do it that way and why that is a smart way to do it. Because we all know in the tech world, they say you need to be able to scale and automate and blah, 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 blah. And so talks about how that does help scale. Um, it's very, very, very interesting. Love Superhuman. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. This is just an interview I've been looking forward to a really long time. Is there any kind of last thoughts you wanted to share before we wrap up? Oh, this has been great. Thanks for having me. This is uh, my first podcast. I'm super excited. Hey, I'm super excited too. I want to ask one last question. If you had any ask for everybody listening, something that we could do to support you in your success, what would that ask be? The thing that I genuinely want is to be able to work with more amazing women in technology. So I want everyone to work in technology, to get in, break the door, push in, apply to Superhuman, apply to your favorite company. That is the thing I actually want. That does help me. <laughs> so where can they apply to Superhuman? Where do they go? Superhuman.com slash jobs. Perfect. So 
to work with an extraordinary woman in tech, remember to go to superhuman.com slash jobs and to connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world. Go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Say hello on social, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at Women in Tech Show. I will see you guys here. You guys talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Amelia Reynolds. I lead engineering at Superhuman. At Superhuman, we're building the fastest email experience in the world. I'm based out of Oakland, California, where it's extremely sunny. And you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you. And I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turn. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.